Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic hits. Uh, COVID-19, of course, is in the news almost every single day. And there's a little bit of a change, I suppose. The wind is changing slightly when we listen to many experts around the, the world who don't agree with the way governments and the way emergency health teams in our country, it would be Neffet Sage in the UK, are dealing with it. So there is now a white paper. And uh, a lot of people have been talking about the white paper over the last few days. And what should we really know about it? And according to a white paper by the, uh, the COVID Recovery, a scientific approach group, Ireland's public health strategy to tackle COVID-19 is outdated and it needs to change. Now, this white paper document is signed by 67 doctors, Irish doctors, by the way, and 100 scientists who are calling uh, for an end to lockdowns whilst questioning Neffet's handling of the pandemic. Now, these are not, by the way, mushes. These are not people who pretend to be doctors or something like that. These are genuinely doctors. I'm going to speak to one of them in a second. And one of the doctors as well, by the way, we have spoken to more recently, Professor Jack Lambert, who's head of infectious diseases and expert at the Matter Hospital and a credentials as long as your arm. And also on the line to speak to me is Dr. Alan Farrell, who is also a co-signee of this white paper as well. Alan, uh, you're also a member of the newly formed COVID Recovery Group. Good afternoon to you. Hi, Niall. How are you? Thanks for having me on. You're welcome. You're welcome. It's very difficult, Alan, because all we ever hear is one side, which is the government side, and RTE are very good at uh, obviously promoting that on a regular basis, particularly at six o'clock on the news every day when we hear figures, which to many people put a lot of fear in them. We, and for those who believe, you know, there are people out there who think there's no virus at all and it's all, this is all a load of codswallop. It's clearly not. There is a virus. Uh, there is a virus that kills people who are vulnerable. Uh, but what angle are you coming at this from? You're basically saying that lockdowns are not the answer and do more damage than good. Is that, is that essentially what you're saying? Um, I think what we're saying is that severe lockdown measures do more harm than good. Um, now, just going back to your point there, <clears throat> with regard to the virus, there certainly is a virus and there was a very serious virus that... Um, went around the world in late winter, spring of 2020. And I think, you know, just to go back to the point about Neffet <clears throat> and the government, we in the group were uh, very much um, supportive of government, supportive of Neffet um, regarding the measures that were implemented around that time. I think everybody bought into that. Well, of right course, because we didn't know what we were dealing with, I suppose. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So, and, 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 and some of the, the modelling around that time was predicting... You know, very significant well, well, I think 120,000 were predicted to die in Ireland within six months, but thankfully yeah, it never was, happened. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, that was by one particular expert in Ireland. Those, those were important Um So that was good, and then so time went on. And then over the summer, things got a little bit more complicated, should we say. I think the coverage around um, COVID became very, very one-sided. I think there was very, very little reflection in terms of what we came to understand about the virus in terms of seasonality and who it was affecting and what the absolute impact was and how many people were actually affected versus what was predicted at the time. So, Let's get to Neffet first of all. Okay, Neffet's job, uh, as people who are medically minded, is to tell the government, this is what we believe is happening. So they're basing their decisions, Neffet. Now, the government don't have to run with Neffet decisions, by the way. They're, they're an advisory group to the government, although you would, uh, you'd find that hard to believe at the moment. Uh, but in saying that, their job basically is to tell the government what they believe the modelling is to predict what's going to happen in two or three weeks' time. It does look like at the moment we're making it up as the days go by. Uh, every morning we come up with a new plan. But they're basing this on case numbers. Uh, everything is based on case numbers. Uh, where There's a lot of talk at the moment about PCR testing and how reliable it actually is. In your own opinion, and from your observations in relation to PCR testing, do you believe it's reliable enough to, to basically dictate public policy? 
Okay, so I'll, I'll take the modelling in a second, Niall, if that's okay. But with regard to PCR, PCR is it's very effective during the epidemic, okay? So when lots of people are becoming sick, I think it was an effective tool because you're identififying who is actually sick um, and, uh, and using it in a very effective way in that way. So then as time moved on, PCR became increasingly used. And the problem with PCR is that it doesn't just pick up active virus. It actually picks up old viral fragments as well. So somebody who may have had the virus that are symptomatic or not symptomatic six months ago could still show a positive with a PCR test. Now, when you say the virus, yeah. COVID-19, if I had, say, the flu or a cold six months ago, would it pick that up? Not necessarily, no. Okay. I think we're more focused on the actual the okay. old viral particles of, of SARS-CoV-2. But many people could have, could have had this and not even known that they had it. So if you couple that with the actual false, what's called the false positivity rate, so all medical diagnostic tests will have some degree of false positivity. That means that people will, get, will test positive for the test but not have any, any evidence um, of the virus in their system. Now, when the actual prevalence of the virus is low, so when there's very little of it in society, and then you keep testing, 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 well, then the vast majority of your tests actually become unreliable and false positive. So if you're testing 100,000 people a week, as we're doing roughly 100,000 people a week, we've gone, when we had, when everybody was kind of back out playing again, roughly around June to August, September, when we're seeing very little deaths, very little cases, we weren't doing as many tests. All of a sudden we ramped up the tests. And I know, again, it sounds a bit Donald Trumpish, but if you do more testing, by the very nature you're testing more people, you're saying you're going to find more positive cases because of the false, false positives. And in the epidemic phase, it's really important to test people because people are sick and you want to identify them and, and make sure they, they get the best treatment. But when the prevalence is low then, and the vast majority of the tests become unreliable, I think it's very, very um, dangerous to start setting policy around those numbers. And when you start actually um, you know, telling everybody on a daily basis that these so-called cases are reflective of very, very sick people in the community, well, I think that's that's. Well, I think it's probably the first time in fast. first time in human history we've been telling people who that they're sick when they're not actually sick at all. Yeah, so it's, well, uh, I think the word "case" is the important uh, word to focus on there. So it's the first time that we've ever called an asymptomatic, asymptomatic person a case. So typically, what we would say is somebody who's sick who presents to a doctor with symptoms um, may have a diagnostic test to back that up. That's a case. But this is the first time that we would call a, a test positive tests, which may or may not have meaning in an asymptomatic individual, a case. Okay, when we look at the moment, say, for example, Alan, that roughly, say, four or five people die per day, right, from COVID-19, or with COVID-19, I'm sorry, I mm-hmm. probably should reword that, okay? Is it a case, but by, by their own admission, Neffet have said there's 3 to 6% positivity rate, depending on the day, and depending on the week they're talking about, okay? Um, yeah. If we're testing everybody who's in a hospital setting or in a nursing home setting, um, and we're testing them all. By the very logic of that, if 70s or 80 people die a day, well, then four or five of them are most likely going to be COVID positive. Does that necessarily mean that four or five people per day are actually dying of COVID-19? Or are those figure, figures, in your opinion, being manipulated? Well, we do, I wouldn't say manipulated, but, but we don't really know what they mean. So what we, <clears throat> the, the PCR gets a little bit more complicated when you talk about things like cycle thresholds. So this is the number of cycles that's required to amplify the the genetic material that you find from your test up to a, uh, 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 an amount that gives it meaning. Well, so well Killian DeGaskin we, did mention 35 to 45 or 45 at one stage cycles, didn't he? And, and, and many, many experts in PCR testing around the world would say anything above 30 and certainly above 35 is inaccurate. unreliable. Yeah. So you're almost certainly coming up with people who are not infectious. 
and then you're asking those people to self-isolate, etc. So that's 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 tricky. So what we need to find out is is you know what exactly um, cycle what what cycle thresholds are being used at the moment. Is it consistent across the board? Are the test kits that are being used consistent across the board? Um, and that if people are being tested at high and coming back positive at high cycle thresholds, are they being retested a week later as they're supposed to be? So I think that's all very, very okay. important. And that doesn't necessarily go for cases, but it also goes for hospital admissions, etc. So Okay, really so, okay, so the, point, the point is, we're, we're questioning Neffet's strategy in relation to this uh, and their modelling in relation to this. And I know Tony Holahan mentioned that they're concerned that the kind of downward trend they've seen in the last three weeks has suddenly stopped and maybe that we're on an upward trend again, which puts December the 1st in jeopardy. Well, it could put December the 1st in jeopardy for lifting the Level 5 lockdown. But what are the alternatives to Neffet? I don't disagree with you that NEFID should be changed on a regular basis. NEFID should be questioned, and they don't seem to be questioned at the moment. So, but the alternatives to, to lockdowns are the Barrington Declaration, and we spoke about that last week here on the year, whereas you protect the vulnerable and everybody else gets on with their lives. Is that what you're suggesting, Al? Well, there's a few components to what we're suggesting. So I think modelling. Maybe you could fix your phone slightly, Alan. It's slightly, it's, it's difficult hey to hear. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. With regard to the modelling, we'd, we'd like to take a look at the modelling in a little bit more detail and see what's actually underpinning um, the modelling, what the assumptions are that, um, that, it, that it's based on. Um, and just to answer your question with regard to, say, level, level five. So if you go back to the end of October um, and you look at the cases and you look at the hospitalisation, you look at ICU loading, you see that the curve turned um, before level five um, restrictions would have had time to have an impact. So, so in other words, whether we went unlikely. into level five or not, you're suggesting that we would have seen a decrease in those cases numbers anyway. Level, level three was already having an effect. And what level five didn't do is it didn't change that. So it didn't bend the curve at all. So level five, in my, in my view, was, was unnecessary and was, was overkill. Um, and that's assuming that level three was based on cases that reflected infected and infectious people, which they almost certainly did not. Why can you so, answer me a question then? Just uh, between the end of June when Leo Varadka made his exit and lifted the phases and we went kind of out into mm. almost normality or somewhat normality. We didn't have the large gatherings, obviously. Uh, between then and uh, the start of October, essentially we had very few cases and very few deaths. Um, and everybody was out enjoying themselves to some degree and meeting their friends and families and, you know, having house parties and doing all sorts of things. Why didn't we see a massive increase of cases then when that was happening? And why did we suddenly see them, you know, at, at one stage back, or when it started to get worse again in October? Why, why do you think that happened? Because coronaviruses are typically seasonal. So um, a lot of your listeners may or may not know that, um, that you know, the common head cold is caused by four fairly common coronaviruses. Um, so the nature of coronaviruses is to be seasonal. So it wasn't a big surprise to see it. And, you know, I think a lot of people will be familiar with those curves, those Gompertz curves that they're, they're called. And where you're, um, where the cases, the deaths, hospital admissions all drop off. So I was not surprised to see, to see you know reduced cases during the summer and kind of into early 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 autumn. And the case numbers that you did see were almost certainly unreliable. Mm-hmm. So so that was where. So again, once a new virus comes along, it has this um, very impactful epidemic phase which we had in the springtime. There's no you know, no doubt about that right across the world, and then. It has now started to see um, rise again in an endemic fashion. So we expect to see, you know, increase in respiratory-related impact, whether it's hospitalizations or deaths. And, and does it surprise you to see that the HSE themselves have acknowledged that there's no cases of the flu this year? 
Yeah, and I've heard a few explanations. Or do you believe there is cases of the flu and we're just re- identifying it as COVID-19 because they've tested positive for COVID? I guess it's a reasonable question. I've asked a few um, experts this and they don't know. So what they will say is that the, the use of face covering, social distancing, etc. probably has resulted in a reduction in influenza and RSV and those other viruses. But the same measures haven't kind of say translated into a reduction in other viruses, such as rhinoviruses, etc. So it's difficult to say. Okay. Um, my, my suspicion is that SARS-CoV-2 at this moment in time is the dominant endemic virus and that and that's okay, that's and the, the idea that there are other uh, doctors and professors out there who b- want zero COVID, uh, do you believe it's possible, or has it ever been possible in the history of mankind, um, to uh, annihilate a virus in society without taking any measures? In other words, that our, that our bodies themselves, the, the herd immunity theory, I suppose, because now I know we have vaccines on the way, which may help, but I don't think it's going to be the magic bullet because I don't think everyone's going to take the bloody thing. So, but do you, do you think that herd immunity is the way forward? Well, herd immunity is an inevitability. It's, it's, not, a, it's not a strategy. It's, it's when you arrive at it through a safe spread or whether it's vaccine use or whatever it is. So um, that's, that's going to happen regardless. But the, going back to the white paper, the main focus of the white paper, and this is to answer your question with respect to the zero COVID um, movement, um, the focus of the white paper is to really put down um, exactly what benefit lockdown has um, over, say, traditional epidemic pandemic guidelines that set out, uh, set out by the World Health Organization up until this year, um, and, and focus then on the destructive nature of lockdown. And the lockdown measures particularly severe ones such as level five are having a huge, huge impact. Right Absol- well, absolutely. We only spoke to a woman yesterday, sadly, whose, whose husband took her took his life yeah. because he was so yeah. depressed over the lockdown. Yeah, I, coincidentally, I, I spoke to a relation to that person uh, yeah. this morning. A complete, complete coincidence. Yeah. Um, mental, health, mental health is the big problem in general practice and in primary care right across the country at the moment. I don't think the impacts of that are going to be quite seen for some time. We know from the London Ambulance Service that suicide call-outs have doubled. I know anecdotally from here that there's some of kind of stories um, starting, to, starting to emerge here as well. Um, the vast, vast majority of, uh, of mental health presentations to general practice are in people under 30 with adjustment disorders, depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation, self-harm, all those things. Cancer diagnosis very much delayed. I've been speaking to cancer surgeons who are saying that their colleagues are seeing presentations of cancer only described in old textbooks of medicine. So, you know, when you hear things like that happening, I think we really have to question the value of these kind of severe restrictions. Okay, and, so, and, and, the, and the alternative, that, but then the alternative is, is that we tackle this differently. But, and, and I understand the reason and the why you want to tackle it differently, and we've spoken to people, other doctors and professors like yourself who've said exactly the same thing, that we need to abandon this idea of locking everybody up and we need to focus on the vulnerable and protect the vulnerable and take common, you know, common sense steps towards this rather than locking down the whole world. Okay, yeah. but, but the, the point is then, I mean, what happens if your white paper, which has been signed by 67 doctors and 100 scientists, uh, and some of them with great credentials, as I said, we spoke to Professor Jack Lambert here last week on the air, mm-hmm. who's head of infectious diseases. So these people are not mushes. They're people who know what they're talking about, but have a different view than Neffet. What happens if it falls on deaf ears? Or what happens if you lose your job? Because we've seen doctors who've, who've stepped up and said, I don't agree with this. I think we're doing it wrong. And they've lost their jobs. Yeah, I'm on my own. I understand why people would be a little bit concerned um, about speaking out. Um, and, you know, I think healthy debate is important. I think that's one thing that has been missing massively in this entire story, which is another side to the argument. 
Um, and so thankfully there are people like Professor Martin Feely and Dr. Jack Lambert and myself and lots of others who signed, signed this paper coming forward. Uh, the more people that kind of say, look, this represents our views, the better it is for the movement and the less at risk everyone is. Mm-hmm. I can understand why people would be a little bit hesitant, particularly if you're involved and have contact with it. HSC, etc. Look, it's completely reasonable that people wouldn't want to. Do you think um, the, me- do you think the media have line. played a role in the? Do you think part of the epidemic or pandemic is the media and the sensationalising of the story? Um, probably out of my area of expertise there a little bit, but I, I do think the coverage has been unbalanced. Yeah, I think that's a, a very reasonable comment. I think there's been a lot of hearing still, and you know, part of the format that we recommend. Oh, we're losing you again there. Sorry, Alan, we're yeah. losing. You. Yeah, part of the exactly. format, sorry, part. Yeah, so the four, the four, the four, um, we try to be constructive here. We try to offer the government an alternative strategy, an alternative position. So this isn't just about giving out and saying, listen, NEFET are wrong or the government are wrong. You know, we're very supportive of government, we're very supportive of NEFET. We want to say, say, look, can you have a look at an alternative strategy? So one of the, um, the things we'd like to look at is, is, you know, some of the more kind of say, political and, and media aspects of it, which is more debate. Is it helpful to have RT at six o'clock every day telling people, you know, that four people died and 350 people are ill? Or, well, I actually, they're not ill, to be honest, because most of the, those 350 people are asymptomatic anyway. So, yeah, so, so, so is, is, it, is that helpful, is it? Well, we need detail. Yeah. So I, once we don't have detail in those figures, which we definitely do not, then I don't think they should be done in that way. Now, I don't have a problem with those figures being announced or we don't have a problem with those figures being announced maybe on a weekly basis or twice weekly basis. But people are getting addicted to these and they're starting to believe that all of these numbers are, are, are all reflect very unwell people that is going to translate into an overload of the health system in a few weeks. And I mean, well, yeah, I, I want to reiterate, there is no doubt, by the way, that people do get COVID-19 in case anybody thinks for one minute that I'm not suggesting that for a minute. Yeah, and uh, it, and we, we will see it over the, over, the, over the winter period, but what we're not seeing at the moment is a beyond normal expectation in terms of hospital admissions. So we're not at any, anywhere near a place where the hospital... Well, it seemed, well according to Leo Varadkar himself, he only tweeted the other day about excess deaths, um, that our excess deaths for this time of the year are no different to any other time, any other year. Yeah, and that's been the, that's been the case right across... For most, most, most of Europe, yes, it has. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, well, uh, well, listen, I, 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 I've read the paper and I find it extremely interesting. For anybody who wants to see it, by the way, it is available online um, and it does have all the data. I'm not going to go through all the data, obviously, on the air. We wouldn't have the time for it. We'd, have, we'd spend the day talking about it. Um, but there's all the data is there to, to prove everything that you're saying as far as you're concerned and your observations and to the other doctors that agree with you. And all you want is a debate. You want the government to listen to the other side and take the other side into consideration and not just go with, I suppose, the one narrative is what you're saying. And, uh, and if people want to have a look at the paper themselves, it's available on www.covidrecovery.ie. And we've launched the YouTube channel hosted by George Hook. Um, so that will be kind of airing over the next uh, couple of weeks. And we'll have lots of guests from Ireland around the world. So um, okay. we're just looking forward to having our, having our say and, 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 and letting people have their say on another side today. Okay. All right. Well, listen, I, I had hoped it might have been a slightly better line, but it was uh, interesting to listen to what you had to say. Dr. Alan Farrell is a member of the newly formed Covery Recovery Group. Thank you for coming on the air. And we'll put a link up on our Twitter account, by the way. It's covidrecovery.ie. You can have a read of the white paper and make your own mind up. And they're asking the government basically to try and listen to another side. In other words, take another approach or maybe a different aspect or certainly try and think about things the way we're doing things because they believe uh, 67 doctors and 100 Irish these are Irish doctors and Irish scientists are saying the way we're dealing with this is wrong and it's not the way to deal with COVID-19.